Over the last uh, few weeks, a number of weeks, I think, uh, both in our preaching uh, from the front here, but also uh, in our most recent AGM, um, as a congregation of God's church, we've actually talked quite a bit in recent times about ministers in training. If you've been here for the meetings of the church, we've talked quite a bit about preparing people for uh, ministry. Now, regardless uh, of our, our thoughts about these things. I think one thing, or one thing I, I'm sure we can all appreciate is how uh, essential and how important a topic that is. None of us in the life of God's church uh, want people just to be picked off the street and thrown into some sort of pastoral ministry. We don't want that to happen. We, all of us, I would have thought, want us to be careful with these things in preparing people for ministry. Well, with these things, again, in view, I think it's fascinating to see that the theme that we come to in God's Word this morning. But in order for us to appreciate what that is, I would ask you, first of all, this morning, to consider something of the structure of Luke's gospel. So the structure of this book that we are studying, what's the structure? Well, how does Luke's gospel be begin? What, what is behind us? What have we seen over the last few weeks and, dare I say, the last few months? Well, in chapters 1 and 2, we have the first section of Luke's gospel, chapters 1 and 2, and, and what that covers really are the infancy narratives of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the first block in Luke's gospel, the infancy na- narratives. And you can think back to what we've seen and what that constitutes, can't you? I mean, we've seen prophecies about Jesus' birth, haven't we? And we've heard songs from Zechariah and from Mary and so forth. We've seen this co- these contrast between John the Baptist and Jesus. That's what's behind us, the infancy narratives. That's in the background. Okay, fine. What's ahead of us? Well, in the next section, after the one that we're in, so that runs from, what is it? It's chapter 4, verse 14 right through to chapter 9, that section really deals with Jesus' ministry in Galilee. So the section that comes after where we are just now, this is where the Lord Jesus Christ strides onto the world stage, and he begins his public ministry, okay? So behind us, what have we got? We've got the infancy narratives. Ahead of us, we've got Jesus' public ministry, So where does that leave us at St. Peter's today? Where are we at the moment in Luke's gospel? Well, here in our present section, so that is from the beginning of chapter 3 to chapter 4.13. Just as we are thinking about ministers and training and, and all of that good stuff, just at that point, what we find is Jesus' own preparation for ministry. That's something, isn't it? Just at this point where we're talking about these things in the life of the church, God takes us presently at the moment to how Jesus was prepared and how Jesus was equipped for this task that he had received from God the Father. And this morning, we are going to focus in on one particular aspect of his preparation. And it is an event that is incredibly significant. Hear this. This event that we will focus on today is so important that it is one of the few events that is recorded in each of the four gospel accounts. So Matthew records it, Mark, Luke, and John record this event. What is it, Christian friends? This morning, we're going to consider the baptism of our Lord. 
So with these things said, by way of introduction, can I invite you to please turn with me in your Bibles, to pick up a Bible if you have it, or on your phone, uh, and let's have, uh, let's have an eye on these just two solitary verses. Now, we're going to look at these verses. We're going to split it up into three. We're going to look at uh, three headings. And the first is this. We're going to see what the baptism teaches us about the purpose of Jesus' ministry. So if you're taking notes, there you go. First point, the purpose of Jesus' ministry. So we look at the baptism. What light does it shed on why Jesus was here, the purpose of his ministry? Okay. Um, so we had Lackey, uh, Big Lack was with us last Sunday. Uh, but if you go back to the week before that, perhaps you'll remember just how uh, ambitious we were uh, as a congregation. Do you remember that? We uh, considered the ministry of John the Baptist the week before last. And what we did is we looked at the five C's of Christ honoring ministry uh, I'm not going to test you on what those were. Uh, I don't think I could get them, to be honest. Uh, but the context of ministry, the content of ministry, everybody thought we were going to go for the courage uh, in John's ministry, but we didn't. We went for the character of, of John's ministry and so forth. You, you perhaps re- remember the, the, the idea. And there was this picture, wasn't there? Building up. Uh, this picture of these people leaving their homes, contrite. Do you remember these people going out, traveling in a multitude, out into the wilderness and the desert? Where were they going? They were going out to John, and they were going out to be baptized. You remember, you get the picture, don't you? Well, as we look at this section, as we come into this section, isn't it quite something to to read what we do? Hang on a second. Look at this in verse 21. How How does this begin? When all the people were baptized, now look at this next bit. And when Jesus also has been baptized, Jesus was baptized. Now, I I, I think, uh, and I'm prepared to be wrong about this, but I think very often when we read in church or we read the Bible at home, that questions arise in our minds. And I also think uh, that for a lot of us, sometimes there's this reticence to, to ask people these questions that appear in our minds. You know, we don't want to feel, we don't want to feel daft. We don't want to feel we're stupid. But, but this morning, look, honestly, we are on, hey, we're on safe ground. Like there, there is a, a question that, that lots of people in here that we are asking. What's the question we're asking? Come on. So many people ask, well, why was Jesus baptized? Because you rewind two weeks ago. What was uh, John's baptism about? Do you remember the word, the crucial word? What was it about? It was about a baptism of repentance. So this was a baptism where people were called to turn from sin. And what do we all know about Jesus? What does Hebrews declare for us? Hebrews chapter 4. He was with out sin. Jesus had no sin. So you can see, if you're asking this question, believe me when I say you're standing with people for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And everyone's asking, well, okay, Jesus is baptized. Why on earth was our Lord baptized? Well, we, of course, cannot be exhaustive here. This is what I want us to do to answer that question. What I'm going to do is I'm going to put up four words one after the other on the screen. 
That's the hope, anyway. And that will give us something of it. Now, it's not exhaustive, but it gives us an idea of the question. Remember the question. What's the question? Why was Jesus, sinless Jesus, why was he baptized? You get it? First one. What's the first one? It's to help with those taking notes and their spelling. It's not the real reason. First, why was Jesus baptized? Validation. Now, think about that for a moment. Can, can you get there before I get there? Validation. Why was Jesus baptized? Jesus submitted to this rite of cleansing by way of seeking to authenticate, I think, the ministry of John the, ba- John the Baptist. Do you follow? Why would our Lord be baptized? I think part of it is to see Jesus being baptized, saying, John has this correct. Jesus is baptized, validating, authenticating his message. Jesus baptized to see repentance is everything. And Jesus' baptism, what do you see? You hear Jesus declare to us, yes, you do need to turn away from sin and you need to turn to God and faith. First reason, validation. Second reason, inauguration. Inauguration. Now, I, I perhaps have asked you this in the... Uh, in previous months, but have you ever been to um, a Free Church of Scotland induction service? Have you been to an induction of a new minister? Um, You got off very lightly with Will, and you got off very lightly with me because of COVID, but if I don't know what it's like in other denominations, but a Free Church of Scotland induction service can last a long time. It can feel like many decades there are there's a sermon, there's a service, then there's sandwiches, all cut up nicely into triangles, then there's cakes, then the speeches will begin, then there'll be some songs, and it goes on. Now, what is that service? Now, it's Thanksgiving, there's a lot going on, but you can see what it is. It's a way of marking the beginning of a new ministry, isn't it? Everyone gathers for this induction and there's a bit of celebration and so forth. It's a way of commemorating the beginning, marking the beginning, having an event for the beginning of a new ministry, isn't it? Isn't it? Well, isn't it interesting to consider what we read in the book of Acts and Acts chapter 1? Now, you, you know what? You don't need to turn up there so much, but Acts chapter 1, what happens? So the church is choosing a new 12th disciple, isn't it? A replacement for Judas. Do you remember the portion of scripture? Now, what is the qualification for that new disciple, the 12th disciple? There's, there's a few things going on, but one of the qualifications is that this new disciple has to have seen it all. This new disciple has to have been there since the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. And what does Acts one twenty two say? Listen, the new disciple has to have been there since the beginning at the baptism of John at this point. Now, do you, do you see the point, the inauguration? Although Jesus' ministry proper is going to begin in chapter 4, verse 14, why is he baptized? It is his induction service. This baptism is the spiritual starting gun for the ministry of our Lord. You with me? Why is he baptized? Validation, inauguration. Third word. See if we can get it. What is it? Submission. Now, where are we in the Bible, you and I, just now? So we're in Luke's gospel, the gospel of Luke. 
But if we were to turn, you know, again, you do not have to do it, but it, if we were to turn to Matthew's record of Jesus' baptism, if we were to do that, I think what we'd find is a lot more detail, wouldn't we, about Jesus' baptism. In fact, a lot of you in here know that account of Jesus' baptism in Matthew's gospel really well, don't you? Do, do you remember what happens? So Jesus goes to John to be baptized. What does, how does John respond? Do you remember John pushes back a little bit? But Jesus insists, I have to be baptized. And he explains the purpose. You fill in the blank. What does Jesus say? He says, this baptism must happen to fulfill all righteousness, isn't it? I must be baptized to fulfill all righteousness. Do you see, we're asking, why is Jesus baptized? He knows, oh, Christian friends, he knows if you are to be saved, you need a perfect life credited to your account. You need a representative who fully obeys God and fully, completely fulfills God's law. And with God having commanded the baptism of John, if you are to be saved, what has to happen? Jesus has to be baptized in the Jordan River. This is, this baptism, part of the active obedience of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so we're, we got it. Validation, inauguration, submission. Now, if you have listened to none of that so far, it's warm in here, the sun is streaming in, and you're struggling. Come back and get the fourth and most important of these. What is it? identification. Um, I think you've all probably seen uh, the group of people that gather on Perth Road down towards the university uh, almost on a daily basis, it seems. Have you seen those? Protesters, they're wearing, they're wearing, waving rather, waving flags. They gather at a point down beside the university. I am not entirely sure the nature of their protest. But what do they want from us? So they want, there's usually signs as you're driving by, and they want us to beep our horns to support them. Or if you're walking past these protesters, they want us actually to stop for a while, perhaps, and actually stand uh, with them. They want, they want our support. In a very clear parallel, what those people want from you is what is happening in the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to listen very carefully and to think about it. In Jesus' baptism at the River Jordan, we are witnessing perhaps the greatest act of solidarity there has been in all of human history. That as these people all travel out to, to the Jordan River, and they're weeping over their sin, Jesus joins them in this journey out to the river, and he joins them in this right. Why? Not because he needs the same cleansing, but he joins them to show that here is, he's here to identify with them, that Jesus Christ is, is, is there to stand with them in their sin. Indeed, in this act, is Jesus not showing the ultimate purpose of his ministry? Now, can you see that? That here, identifying with sinners is the one who has come to provide true cleansing for these sinners. 
He's baptized to show he is the one who's going to become sin that we might become the righteousness of God. And when you see that identification, friends, is it not cause for joy in our hearts? Because I would ask you to picture the scene that we've talked about thus far. You can do that with me. You have in the first century, the dust and the heat. And you have people leaving their homes. And then they gather with a little group and they leave and they join a multitude of people. And there are thousands and thousands of people. And they are walking out into a desert and they are walking out into a wilderness. Now, who makes up that crowd? People like you, people like me, and people who are burdened with their sin. And so walking out towards the River Jordan are are people who are battling with lust. They're contrite and they're crying and they're battling with booze. And they're walking out to to the Jordan and and they're battling with anger. And they cannot believe, they cannot believe that they were angry with their spouse again that morning. And they can't believe that they were angry with their children again. It's habit. And they're, they're walking out contrite, repentant, walking out. And this huge crowd of people to be baptized by John. And, and, and who is in the center of that crowd identifying with them? It's a 30-year-old man. And it's Jesus walking with them, numbered with the transgressors. There is our Lord walking out, the one who can and will cleanse people from their sin. The one who has come to wash all of your sins away. We see in the baptism something of the purpose of Jesus' ministry. Second, we see something of the power of Jesus' ministry. The power of Jesus' ministry. Um, We've talked about reading our Bibles at home. Um, I think that, (coughs) excuse me, one thing that we should always be on the lookout for when we're reading Scripture in our homes is when the Bible, when Scripture, the Holy Spirit, adopts what we'll call Trinitarian language. You, you follow? So there are high points, there are peaks, mountaintops in, in God's words. Uh, where could we go? Genesis 1 or Matthew chapter 28. There's a variety of different places where Scripture mentions all three persons of the Godhead. They're mentioned, they are involved, and you and I, honestly, our antenna should always be up looking for these beautiful and special portions of Scripture. Isn't it something to notice that we come to one of these high points of Scripture this morning? Isn't it? I mean, we have just mentioned God the Son, submitting to baptism. In a second, we're going to mention God the Father. And what does he do? He speaks from heaven, but also you'll notice in the text, there is mention of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity descending here. What is this? What is it but a Trinitarian, a beautiful Trinitarian portion of Scripture we have in our hands? Now, as we, uh, as we think about the, the Holy Spirit just now, I feel like you do sometimes. At university, at work, in the home, when you are up against it for time, I reckon. At work, you know that feeling. At home, you know that feeling. And some of the students, up against it for time. You're pretty familiar with that as well. I feel like you. What do you do in in that circumstance when you've got too much on your plate? 
what we, what we all should do, I guess, maybe not are great at doing it, but what we should do is prioritize. Shouldn't, what do we do? We've got so much in the inbox or on, on our plate. What we do is we sideline some things that we'll come back to later, don't we? In order, <laughs> in order to focus on that pressing matter at hand. That's how I feel right now. Because as we think about the Holy Spirit descending, do you know what I'd love to do? I would love for us to think about the fact that Jesus was at prayer. Did you notice that? Luke is the only one uh, of the evangelists that records this detail that Jesus is at prayers to the Holy Spirit descends. I'd love for us to look at that. The other thing that I would love to look at, it's been fascinating me all week, is the physical form of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that fascinating? What, 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 what is the bodily form? Um, we say it's a dove. It's like a dove. Like a dove. So I think that's reflecting the, the, the idea in the ancient world that the dove was the most gentle of all of the birds. Gentle as a, a dove. So it's perhaps the idea the Holy Spirit is in some sort of bodily form, but the Holy Spirit, he is descending in a, in a gracious way. Do you see? He's, he's coming to d- descend and rest on Jesus in a beautiful and a careful and a gentle way. Man, I would for us to spend a little bit of time in that. But we, we can't, we're, we're up against it. So we move it to the side, we'll come back to it at some point in time because what is the pressing matter at hand, Christian friend? Surely the pressing matter is why does that happen? Why at this point in redemptive history, why is the Holy Spirit coming down like this to rest upon Jesus? Why does that happen? Why does it happen here? It's not just in, in order to legitimize people, Christians wearing dove jewelry for generations. Is it? it's, it's, there's more to it than that. And I'll, I'll be frank with you and honest with you. At this point, I kind of feel like I'm morphing into a, sort of a scuba diver or something like that. Because what I have to do, sincerely, I have to invite you to come with me into some deep water here. To come into some deep things as we think about this descent of the Holy Spirit upon the Lord Jesus Christ. But I know this, you, you want to go there, don't you? You want, you want to go into these deep things that you, you might return praise to God. Yes? So, what's the question? Why does the Holy Spirit descend upon Jesus, rest on Jesus here? Let's start just with a, a couple of preliminary questions. Come on to the deep water with me for a moment. First is this. What is the relationship between the two natures of the Lord Jesus Christ? Is that a simple place for us to start, or do we already feel like the water is over the, over the top of our heads? What do we know about Jesus? Oh, we know that Jesus is one person with two full natures. We all know that as the church, don't we? If I say the hypostatic union to you, we know what it is, don't we? Listen, if not, we know that to the eternal divine nature of God the Son, in the incarnation has been added a full human nature. We know that. Who's Jesus? Isn't it, isn't it already cause for praise? He is one person with two natures, fully human nature, fully divine nature. There's our starting point. Let's go there. Second, we're still breathing underwater, are we? Second point, okay, then, in relation to his natures, how then does Jesus, in his earthly ministry, how does he perform miracles? 
So think about his natures. Think about what is operative. How does Jesus perform miracles? Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll pause for a moment. I know it's, yeah. I think with a question like that, most of us in the room fall into one of two camps. You, again, please correct me if I'm wrong later on, but I think most of us fall into two camps. Because, you know, we're, we're wondering, like, what is this? Like, how does Jesus perform miracles? What nature, which part of him is operative? I think one of two camps. Here's the first camp. See if you fall into this. The first camp is for some of us who have never really thought about that before. So who's in that camp? It's, it's people like us who we believe that Jesus is the Savior. He is the only Savior. We believe that he is the Son of God. And we believe that he performed miracles. But if you were to ask us, how did that happen? <laughs> exactly what happened, what nature was operative, what was happening in those miracles, I think we're going to hold our hands up and say, I'm not entirely sure, and I've never wrestled with that before. There is camp number one. Maybe you're in there, maybe not. Here's camp two. Listen. Camp two, things like this. That when Jesus performed miracles, what he was doing was immediately accessing his divine nature. Come on, Christian friend. Is that how you think of these things? So in his earthly ministry, Jesus living as a human, living with us, amongst us. But now and again, what do we think? We think that Jesus just tapped into his divine nature in order to perform some miraculous sign. Now, be honest with me. Be honest with yourself. Is that how you thought about miracles? I, I want to say to you, please, and I'll say it gently, I don't think that's right. And I reckon you'll see that it's wrong if you recognize the problem with it. If Jesus is going to redeem humanity, if he's going to redeem people, what has to happen? Jesus has to live a life that preserved his full humanity. So the Lord Jesus Christ could not cheat. <laughs> Do you see? The Lord Jesus Christ could not just at points just like tap into his divine nature, go, go, go around things. No, do you see? If he is going to save you, if he's going to save me, he, 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 has, he has to live this full humanity. He cannot undermine his full humanity. Oh, so do you realize what happened? Now, listen, please, please. At every step of the way in his earthly ministry, the Lord Jesus Christ relied upon the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God. I hope if you hear nothing else this morning, that you hear that, you take it in, it changes your worship, it fills you for praise. Do you understand what happened? In his earthly ministry, Jesus Christ did not immediately access his divine nature. He didn't take it, he didn't immediately access it. At every point, that, that divine power was mediated to him mediated to him by the, the third person of the Trinity. Did you follow? At his miracles, the ministry of the Holy Spirit to Jesus. When he resists the evil one, what do we read? The ministry of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' ability to cast out demons, what's happening? The ministry of the Holy Spirit. In his ability to suffer in your place, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' death, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' resurrection, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. At every single step along the way, the Holy Spirit of God was Jesus' faithful, constant, and equipping companion. 
And maybe if you see that, and if you're still breathing, you see why this portion of Scripture here is just so remarkable and special? Because do you recognize what's happening as the Holy Spirit descends in bodily form, physical form, like a dove and rests upon Jesus? Do you see what's happening here? Jesus Christ is knowing the equipping for the ministry that lay ahead. He's knowing the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God. Friends, isn't it marvelous when when we see it? Doesn't it bring forth praise? What we see is such planning in the Godhead, don't we? What we see is such incredible precision in this work of salvation and, and all in such a way to preserve Jesus' full humanity that he might be in a place to redeem you from your sin and all that you might know the equipping and the presence of the Holy Spirit yourself. So we see the purpose of Jesus' ministry. We see the power that was there in Jesus' ministry. He did not immediately access his divine nature. It was mediated to him by the Holy Spirit. And then the third thing, the last thing, and the briefest thing is the pleasure in Jesus' ministry, the pleasure and here, I think it's going to seem as though to many of you that I'm sticking the car in reverse, going back a bit and running back over something that I've said earlier on. Okay, so it's going to seem to many of you in the room that I am about to contradict myself as ministers are inclined uh, to do. But I assure you, if you stick with me for a second, you will see that I think it makes sense. Because what did I say right at the beginning of this sermon? I said that this event, the baptism of Jesus, is an incredibly important event. Do you remember me saying that? I said that it was so significant an event that each of the four evangelists, that they record this. It's so incredibly important. It's so special. It's so significant. And what I find remarkable, as you look at it on the screen, is as important as it is, that doesn't seem to be the focus of Luke's attention at all. Did you notice that? Look, look at it. I, just, I, I know it's not the most exciting thing in the world, but if you think about grammar, look at the way it's written. Do, do, do you notice that what Luke seems to be doing is just skipping by the baptism in the grammar? Do you notice that? It's, now, when the people were baptized and when Jesus was baptized, something else happened. Do you notice that? Like, do you notice that, yeah, Luke seems to be more concerned with the descent of the Holy Spirit, but ultimately, where is all of the momentum in these two verses? Do you notice, grammatically, all of the momentum is towards the end. All of it is towards this voice that comes from heaven. So Luke reserves the main clause to the end. He reserves the main verb right to the end. Everything is about this voice that comes from heaven. So because of its importance, this is what I would ask you at least to to do with me just now. So I will read what God the Father says. And all I would ask you to do is to think about for a moment what you, you feel is happening here. What's happening as God the Father speaks? I'll read it. What's happening here? So this voice from heaven says this. The Father says, you, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. What's happening? What do you think is happening? 
See, I, I think many of us could, could just assume that what's happening here, all that's happening is that the Father is confirming the identity of Jesus for the onlookers. Can we think like that? Okay, it's done with affection, isn't it? Affirmation, but you, it's you, you are my beloved son, as though it's just confirming Jesus' identity. But do you remember when you were a kid? Do you remember the little scratch cards that used to fall out of the comics that you used to get as a kid? Do you remember them? You remember as a kid, you would get the coin and you would scratch off that silver overcoat thing. You scratch, and it would reveal like a, a picture or a game. You remember that sort of thing as a kid? Now, if we just do that here with God the Father's words, if we just scratch away it, do you know what we'll find? We'll find two little Old Testament texts here that, that fill this with meaning. So if you got your coin, honestly, scrape away the first bit. What's the first bit? He says, he says, you are my beloved son. Come on, scratch away. What's underneath that? You are my beloved son. What Old Testament text is there? Do you know, I can say every single one of you, you ought to know this. Why should you know this? Alistair should know this because you've just sung it. <laughs> you scratch away. And what do you find? That in this moment at the River Jordan, this bellowing voice from heaven's quoting Psalm 2. God the Father is quoting this royal psalm, this regal psalm, this, the psalm of, of monarchy. Now take that little bit of information, keep it in your head. What's the second part? You are my beloved son. What's the next bit? With you, God the Father says, with you, I am well pleased. Have you got your coin? Come on, scratch away at it. With you, I am well pleased. What, what's behind that? What's underneath that? Can we, can, we, can we project it? Can we put it up on the screen? With you, I am well pleased. It depends on the translation. But God the Father is quoting Isaiah 42. There's the descent of the Holy Spirit, you see. There's the delight of the Father. Now, I'm going to ask you this. Make sure you, you get it. What is Isaiah 42? What is God the Father quoting? He's quoting one of the servant songs, isn't he? He's quoting this song that speaks of one who is willing to suffer. A suffering servant, one who is going to bring delight and pleasure to God because he is willing, willing to suffer under God's will. Will you not put all of these bits of the jigsaw together? Do you not see? Does it not fill everything with meaning? Does it not shed light on this voice? What is God saying? What do we have here? Is it mere confirmation of identity? No, this is about, about the delight of God the Father in his Son. He is delighting that in this baptism, Jesus is willing to embrace the ministry ahead. And God the Father is delighting that the Lord Jesus Christ will fulfill these two Old Testament texts. He will, for you, become the suffering servant. He will suffer in your place and die on a cross. But then Psalm 2, what will happen? Oh, what will happen? But Jesus will rise to the Father's delight and pleasure. And Jesus will ascend to the Father's delight and pleasure. And he will take his throne, Psalm 2. And Jesus will reign over us and over all things for all time. And as you read these words, 
What is it that strikes you, Christian friend? You know what strikes me? It's the love that existed in the Godhead. Doesn't that flow out of the text? I mean, the Holy Spirit descending so gently in love to be upon God the Son. What love is in that? But then the voice of the Father. What's happening here? But it's a loving smile from God the Father. It's resting on his Son. And so I want you to leave this room. And I want you to do so remembering why all of this happened. Why did it happen? Christ's baptism was the beginning of a ministry that secured for you that same love. Jesus' ministry, it secured for you the favor of God. He loves you with the same love that you're reading of here. That if you are in Jesus Christ today, if you have repented and believed, God the Father looks down upon you, seated in these red seats at St. Peter's or these uncomfortable pews up the top. But God the Father looks down upon you in Jesus Christ. And what does he say of you today? You are my beloved child. And in Christ with you, I am well pleased. We ought to leave this place rejoicing in that. We rejoice praising Jesus for all that he has done for us, his people, his church. Let's pray. Gracious Father God, we thank you for Uh, this account of the baptism of our Lord. Uh, We thank you for the portrayal of cleansing that we see in baptism. We thank you that the Lord Christ has washed our sins all away. Uh, We thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life and experience of our Lord. We thank you that we too know the resting of the Holy Spirit upon us in the church. And Lord God, we thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ has brought delight to God the Father and that you in turn delight in us who have Christ as our representative. So we praise you for these things and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we are going to respond to the preaching of God's word and we're going to sing our last hymn this morning uh, and that is hymn of praise and it's called 10,000 reasons. Bless the Lord, O my soul. I worship his holy name. Sing like never before, O my soul. I worship your holy name. Friends, let's stand together and let's praise uh, the living God. Let's stand and, and